0: So through this season of Advent, we're looking at what we're calling stories of grace in the stories of, of, of in the story of Jesus, and in, in particular, we're looking at the stories of women in the lineage of Jesus. And we said last week in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, a genealogy was a, a person's resume. It said. Uh, to somebody else who you are. I, I mean, think of how we utilize resumes today. A resume is a, is a record of who you are, of your performance that you present to someone in order that uh, it might open doors of opportunity to you. Well, in the ancient Near East, your resume, uh, what you got you in was your genealogy. It was your lineage. It was your family tree. And so if you came from wealth or status or pedigree, well, you could present that to someone through your genealogy, and it would open up doors for you. And so you and I, we write resumes, right, to, to what? To show off our job competency. And what, do we, what we do with our resume is we try to put our best foot forward, right? I mean, if you flunk out of school, you don't put that in there. If you got fired from your job, you don't put that in there. You you certainly don't say I I, I got fired for inc- being incompetent in your resume. We just don't do that. We spin ourselves in a positive light. We 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 put down uh, our references, and we even call our references beforehand and say, Hey, if someone if a person might give you a call if they do, will you please say something nice about me? Right. We spin ourselves in a positive light in our resume in order for opportunity to be open to us. And there are obvious times uh, when we exaggerate uh, those resumes a little. I, I once had this book. It had um, archived uh, chronicles uh, from the New York Times through the decades, and it had highlights uh, from the personal section. And, and this one specific archive particularly uh, struck me. In the personal section, someone wrote this. Strikingly beautiful. I'm an Ivy League graduate, playful, passionate, perceptive, elegant, bright, articulate, original in mind, unique in spirit. Here's my favorite part. I possess a rare balance of beauty and depth, sophistication and earthiness, seriousness, and the love of fun. Professionally successful, perfectly capable of being self-sufficient and independent, but I won't be truly content until we find each other. Please reply with a substantial letter describing your background and who you are. And this is how we present ourselves to the world, right? This is the way we do it. And this is why what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 1 is so incredibly shocking. It's shocking because of who he includes in the genealogy of Jesus. He is shockingly honest, outsiders and Outcasts are are in the family tree of Jesus. You have women in the genealogy of Jesus, and in this ancient patriarchal culture, you would never put uh, in your resume, in your genealogy, w- women. Women in that culture weren't even they, they weren't even they weren't even able to give testimony in a court of law. So you wouldn't list women, and yet Matthew chapter one, women are included. And not just women, not just gender outsiders, but you have racial outsiders. You have moral outsiders. You have the likes of Tamar and Rahab. You have people who, who would have been seen as living these kind of sordid lives. And, and they're in the genealogy of, of, of Jesus. And it begs the question, what are these people doing there in the genealogy? Well, as we said last week, you can't really understand the birth of Jesus. You can't really understand what Christmas actually means unless you look at the family tree of Jesus, at the ancestors of Jesus, and at their stories, at their lives, because their lives point repeatedly to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And last week, we opened with Tamar. We looked at the story of Tamar, and today we're going to look at another of Jesus' mothers in the story of Ruth. Uh, which takes us, of course, to the, the Old Testament book of the same name, these four little chapters that are basically um, a love story from 3,000 years ago. And, and some of you, you maybe haven't heard or haven't read the story before, maybe haven't heard the story of Ruth before, and so you might not know what it is or why it matters, but it's basically a love story from 3,000 years ago, about 1100 B.C., The story, in essence, is a boy-meets-girl story. It goes roughly like this. There's an Israelite widow named Naomi. There are three main characters. One of them is named Naomi. And Naomi was married to a man named Elimelech. And Naomi and Elimelech, along with their two sons, moved to the foreign land of Moab because there was a famine in Israel. And over the course of time while living in Moab, the two sons married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But although Elimelech and his family moved to a foreign land to, to, to flee famine and death, they actually found the very thing that they were trying to avoid. Elimelech and his two sons actually die in Moab. And it leaves Naomi devastated and impoverished. She has absolutely nothing. No family, no land, no name, no significance. But she does have two daughter-in-laws. But her daughters-in-law are not from Israel like Naomi is. They're from Moab. And Moab has for a long time been an enemy of Israel. And so when Naomi decides to return to Israel, her homeland, she says to her daughters-in-law, stay here, don't come with me. Here, you have family, you have standing, you have connections. Don't em- emigrate with me. Uh, y- y- you, have, you have everything here, but if you come with me, you will have nothing. And it says uh, at this, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law farewell, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth, the second main character in this story, says to Naomi these moving words, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Like that scene in the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, where Frodo, the hobbit, by the way, Megan is a complete Lord of the Rings nerd, so I worked really hard to shoehorn in a final Lord of the Rings illustration for Megan this morning. But but it's like that that scene in the in the in the Fellowship of the Ring where Frodo the Hobbit is is heading to Mordor to to destroy the One Ring, and he sees Samwise Gamgee following behind, and Frodo yells, "Go back, Sam! Go back! Uh, uh, I'm going to Mordor alone." But Sam continues on, and he he starts to wade into the riverbed and following after Frodo, but he can't swim, so he starts to drown, and eventually Frodo saves him. And Frodo says, why? Why Why would you risk your life tempting to come after me? And, and, And Sam looks deep into Frodo's eyes, and he says, I made a promise. Don't leave him, Samwise Gamgee, and I don't mean to. I don't mean to. And so, like Sam Gamgee, Ruth is saying, I won't leave you. I'm coming with you. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if I let anything except death part me from you. And so you have this Israelite woman and her Moabite daughter in law, and they come back to the land of Israel. And it's there that Ruth then meets a man named Boaz, third main character. And they fall in love in a slightly weird way that I'm not going to try and explain to you this morning. But they end up getting married and living happily ever after. And actually, she becomes the grandmother to King David and the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. So it's an interesting love story on its own terms, but if, if, if you've never heard it before, you might well think, well, why on earth would I care about, about a love story? I mean, it's basically a sort of agrarian, farming-based love story from 3,000 years ago, something that might appeal to someone on FarmersOnly.com dating you know, site, but, but not many others. Why would I care about this story? Why is it even in the Bible? Why does it matter? But listen, we're not supposed to read the book of Ruth and at the end go, ah, oh, isn't that nice? He, he meets her and goes, hi. And she meets him and goes, oh, hello. And, and then a few minutes later, they're, they're married and having children. But, but actually, when we see the story for, for, for what it's trying to do in the wider biblical story, we'll see that there's a lot more to it than that. You see, Ruth is one of those stories where you're supposed to read it and see that there is something much bigger going on. And there are a lot of stories like that. The obvious example, uh, the Narnia stories. I mean... You read those and think, wow, it's a story about you know, a lion, a witch, and a, a wardrobe, and four kids. And, and, and you might be forgiven for just missing the point of the whole story because it's meant to be, I mean, it's a good story, but it's meant to be a story about the Christian gospel and Jesus conquering death and redeeming people and all that sort of thing. And, and, and if we miss the Christian story, we don't get as much out of the Narnia story. If you read uh, Animal Farm, some of us had to read Animal Farm at, at school, I don't know if they still do that today, but, and, and we think this is just a story about pigs in a farmland, uh, far, farmyard going you know, oink, oink, and some of them pushing others, others around, the end. But actually we're supposed to, to read it, of course, as, as, as a story about communism, and, and when you read it that way, you think, oh, there's, there's a bit more to it than just pigs pushing each other around in the farmyard. Uh, there are lots of examples of stories like that. You might have watched The Lion King and halfway through suddenly realized, this is Hamlet. And if you haven't, you, 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 you're probably right now thinking, is it, is it Hamlet? Um, you know, hmm. But it's basically Hamlet with a happy ending. Sometimes you watch stories like this or you read them and you think, there's another level and you're supposed to see the bigger level. And if we don't, we can actually miss, completely misunderstand the little story. And, and, and the same, I think, is true of Ruth. If we see Ruth as just boy meets girl, then we miss quite a lot of what's going on. Because I think it's actually a story at three levels. Um, so we've got a nice, lovely story, boy meets girl. They live happily ever after. But that story is embedded inside a a much bigger story about Israel and how the promises God has given to the nation of Israel are going to come about. And that in itself is also embedded in an even bigger story about what God wants to do to save the whole world through Jesus and what what the Christian gospel is. And we're going to, you know, we're supposed to read it on all three levels, I think, which I'm... Hoping to do uh, this morning in the few remaining moments that we have. And so let's pick up the story in chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, Naomi, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, so again, Those are the three main characters, Naomi, Boaz, Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So gleaning was this ancient practice where landowners in Israel were not allowed to harvest the very edges of their fields or, or pick up what was dropped during harvesting so that the poor could come along and glean a little bit of gra- gra- uh, grain that remained in order to be able to make some bread and care for themselves. So Ruth says, I want to go do that. And Naomi said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, uh, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have you found favor? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been f- fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she stopped beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, "Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also put out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her." At which point, anyone who who knows anything about gleaning is thinking, "This is not gleaning at all." Like you know, you know, why don't you just leave the bundles as, as well, you know, and, and the ones you've already picked, she can have, you know, s- s- some of that, actually, you know, let's just, why don't you just actually pull it out of the bundle and give it to her, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear, it's safe to say that, that Boaz has taken a bit of a shine to Ruth. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she gleaned, and it was about an ephah of, uh, of barley, at which point we all go, what is an ephah? It means a lot of barley, more than you would expect from a day's gleaning. And, and she took it up and went into the city. Her, mother in, uh, her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she'd left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? I, I wonder if that was like in, in, in quote marks, you know, I, where have you been gleaning, you know, like where have you been pilfering stuff and, 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 and where have you worked? But she realizes that someone must have taken notice of her, otherwise she, she'd never have had all this stuff. She said, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she'd worked that and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so, an ancient practice of of redeeming is where where you, if you'd lost your husband, then maybe a relative of his might be able to marry you, and in so do, doing, redeem your land back, so you get incorporated into his family and, and keep your family inheritance. And Ruth the Moabite said, "Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until you finished all my harvest.' They finished all my harvest." And Naomi said to Ruth. To Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And so at one level, it's a, it's a nice love story. A nice rich man comes up to uh, a poor woman uh, in a famine-stricken country and goes, hi. And she goes, hello, and they live happily ever after in the end. That, that's what happens. But I think if we read it at just that level, we miss a lot of the point of this story. And the reason I say that is because it completely neglects one of the three main characters. See, this story, in many ways, is as much about or more about Naomi than it is about Ruth and Boaz. It's about how she is going to end up receiving the inheritance God has promised her. And 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 if you tell it as just a boy meets girl story, you think, I mean, what's, what in the world is the mother law doing there? I mean, just get, you know, she's just getting in the way. Write her out of the story. But she's central to what's going on. And it would also, if you read it as just a boy meets girl story, you would miss the ethnic racial dimension to what's happening as well. Because you have an Israelite man and a Moabite woman, and those two are not supposed to mix, as we'll see in a moment. So I think if you were to read it as just a love story, you'd miss both of those elements. And that's why I think we need to read a little bit more at level two and say that this is a story about how Israel Israel is going to inherit her promises and her destiny. You see, Naomi is like Israel in this story. Naomi represents, if you like, the nation of Israel. And I say that because of this. You read the book of Ruth, and it starts with an Exodus story, right? So Naomi's in the land. She goes down to a foreign country because there's famine in her land. And she goes into the foreign country to find food. She suffers in the foreign country. And she returns to her own land, and coming back into her own land, she then seeks bread. And that's what happens with Israel in the Exodus. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, in a nutshell, that's the story. Israel leaves their land because of famine in the time of Jacob and Joseph, goes down into Egypt to find food, but then suffers and then returns to the land. The difference is, is that in Israel's exodus, Israel comes back to the land and they come, they come back, it comes back full. They come back full to a land flowing with milk and honey. And in this story, Naomi comes back to the land empty, bereft, bitter, no sons, no grandchildren. She's lost a husband. She needs a place to live, a place to stay. She is without And she comes back and she says, I I don't even want to be called Naomi anymore. I want to be called Mahara because the Almighty has made me bitter. And that's, of course, where the story ends in chapter 1. And so this is an exodus story. She has gone and experienced suffering in a foreign land and has come back, and instead of being blessed, has come back empty. And, And when she returns, she comes back to Bethlehem, which ironically means house of bread. She comes back to the place where she's supposed to find food, and she's empty and she's without anything. And so this is a story about Naomi, a woman now who doesn't have children, going into a foreign land and coming back and saying... Come on, where are the promises that you've made to me, God? You promised that if I was faithful to you, I would receive an inheritance, that I would receive children, that I would have land, I'd have abundance and blessing. Instead, all that I have, I've got nothing. It's all been lost. And in the same way, Israel is doing that in her big story as well. Israel has gone down into slavery and come back into the land, and it was supposed to be great, but actually Israel is now looking around and saying, this is chaos, everything's falling apart. The, the, the period of the judges is just a shambles. We keep being invaded every few minutes as, as people take away our stuff. First it's the Midianites, and then it's the Philistines. And, and yes, God raises up these judges, but they're scallywags anyway, and, and, and then they disappear and we're all still in a mess. And at the end of that process, they're crying out to God, God, what are you doing? Where are your promises? You said you'd bless us and make us a blessing to the the world, and instead we've got nothing. So Naomi's story is Israel's story. Well, Naomi sits inside of Israel's story. Basically the same thing is happening to both of them. And the question in both cases is, God, how are you going to keep your promises? That is what Naomi's asking, and that is what Israel is asking as well. And I think the first and last lines of this book tell us, tell us that's what's happening. The book begins with the statement in the days that when the judges ruled. In other words, in this era where everything was turbulent and was a bit of a mess, and the very last word of the book is David, as in the king the one who brought stability and peace and fruitfulness to the nation. So we, we, we started with chaos and mess and we've ended up with this beautiful leader who's brought stability and prosperity to the nation. And, 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 and Ruth is at the centerpiece of how that happens, as we're going to see in a moment. So I think we should be reading this not just as, a, as boy meets girl, but as a story about Israel's history being acted out in this old widow and her daughter-in-law and future son-in-law. And in the context of that story, the, the level two Israel story, the Ruth and Boaz story takes on a completely new meaning. Because Ruth is a foreigner. And she's not just any foreigner. She is a Moabite woman. And the Moabites, well, there are two pretty grim stories about Israel and Moabite. The first one is just to, to know that, that, that Moab was conceived in incest. Moab, the nation of, o, uh, of Moab, begins with Lot having sex with his daughter and then producing this offspring. So they sort of don't start off very well, but But actually, as you go through, there's a rather more graphic story that illustrates that Moabite women are meant to be a bad thing in the Bible. And that is that when Israel was about to step over uh, the Jordan into the promised land, just before that happened, Israel is, is waiting in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan, waiting to cross in. And and they hang out with the Moabite women and the Israelite men go with the Moabite women and they end up having sexual relations with them and begin worshiping uh, Moab, uh, Moabite gods. And Moses goes off on them like, I cannot believe that this has happened, you know, all kind of Moses style. And during that story, while they are being rebuked by, their, uh, by God for their sin, very brazenly, an, uh, uh, an Israelite man and a Moabite woman walk through the middle of the congregation. So all Israel can see them, and they go into their tent and start having sex. And one of the, the, the Israelite zealots called Phineas is so angry he picks up a spear and he walks into the tent and he drives the spear through both of them. It's a pretty grim story. But it's meant to say to Israel for the rest of her history Moabite women, red flag, red flag. It's meant to make you go every time you see a Moabite woman watch out, watch out. These are the people that will lead you to, to fornication and idolatry. Now, fortunately, I can say that without uh, any of you thinking, ah, I've got a a very nice Moabite friend, uh, because there haven't been any Moabites for a very long time, which is quite nice that God has very graciously, um, gradually removed nations from history that would have been offended by reading the Old Testament. But, 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 but But in that story and in other stories, you know, Moabites were the ones who who refused Israel bread and water and safe passage when they were wandering in the desert. They're the ones who hired Balaam of donkey fame to speak against uh, Israel. They're the ones that, that, that God says in Psalm 60, Moab is my wash basin. Moab is the place where I clean my hands when they're dirty. In other words, Moab is an enemy of God's people, and they always are. And all of that is, is vital context for this story because then when you see the servant in charge of the reapers, when Boaz comes up and says, who's that lady, instead of saying, oh, her name is Ruth, she seems quite to be a, 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 a lovely, nice young lady, really. She says, she's a Moabite woman from the land of Moab. At which point you're thinking, where else would a Moabite woman come from? But, but that's the point. He says it twice because he's trying to get you to get... This is, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is one of those women. She, she epitomizes a foreign, dangerous, idol-worshipping so-and-so. You see, in many ways, this is a story of the outsider. Ruth is an outsider. And that's why she is so shocked when she comes to Boaz and and says, I'd really love to to glean in your fields. And he says to her, you can, and I want you to stay with me and stay with my reapers and, and you'll be safe. She's so astonished. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? And Ruth's reaction when when you see it in the national context, it is completely understandable. And yet Boaz blesses her anyway and says to her, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by Israel's God, under whose wings you have come to take shelter and refuge, with, which is an absolutely beautiful blessing. Boaz says, in other words, You've come desperate to Israel's God, and, and he's not going to let you down. And then he welcomes her to, to his table and says, hey, come, sit with me. Hey, here's some bread. Dip it in the wine. Join in. Here, here's a bit more bread. You can, you, can, you can now go away with an abundance, more, far more, in fact, than you ever asked for. You will return to your mother-in-law and show her because you have been blessed with abundance. I mean, Ruth shouldn't even have been allowed in Israel. She shouldn't be allowed to marry into this family and she certainly shouldn't be the means of Naomi getting a a daughter-in-law who will produce a grandson who becomes king and then a great-great-great-great-great-grandson who is King Jesus. It's outrageous that Ruth should be in that story at all. But God has set it up this way, that that Naomi's promise Will be fulfilled, and her little exodus out of the land and back in will be ended by including a Gentile into the family. And similarly, God wanted the promise to Israel, the promises to Israel to be fulfilled, and her exodus ended by including Gentiles in the family. That's what God was doing. God was saying, This isn't just about Naomi. This is about the nation. You guys will be blessed when Gentiles come in. And that's the way God set things up. So this is not just a boy meets girl story. It's a story about a nation as well. But even more, it's a story of the purposes of God of bringing insiders and outsiders together. Right? Naomi is Israel. And Ruth is is the Gentiles, which is all of us who are not Jewish ethnically. And my guess is that the vast majority of us this morning are Gentiles. We are not Jews. I mean, we come from America or Canada or Mexico or wherever it may may be, and we are all outsiders to the purposes of God. I mean, Israel is where God chose to make his dwelling place. He said, I'm going to live on this mountain in this temple, in this little box, the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm going to sanctify this little city, Jerusalem. And I'm going to live in the midst of these people. And you guys, well, I don't even know who you are. I mean, by being Americans, we are, we are the people Isaiah was talking about when he said, well, there's going to be people from this land and this land and this land and this land, you know, all the ones we've heard of, and then there will be the peoples from the the distant coastlands and islands that we have no idea are are out there. So Ruth represents you and me. Ruth represents those people who it's like, oh, you are so far gone, no one would even have thought that you could get in. And so you can imagine that there are going to be quite some surprises in the kingdom where people are going, who are you? How did you get in here? I'm American. See, the problem is, we Americans don't think about world history that way. We think we are the center, you know, we're the center, and the rest of the world is out there. But that's not how the world sees it, the, the, or the Bible sees it. The Bible, the Bible sees it like, no, 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 Jerusalem is here. And America, I mean, if Jerusalem is the bullseye and the rest of Israel is like that little red dot around the bullseye where you get, you know, 25, that little outer ring. Then Europe and the Middle East and, and, and you know, the northern half of Africa, like they're on the dartboard. America, I'm afraid, we're not even on the dartboard. We're like on the wall when the guy was drunk and just, you know, th- you know threw the dart just miles away. And the point is, Ruth plays the part of that person, the Moabites, the outer darkness people, the ones who miss the dartboard altogether. Ruth plays the part of you guys and me. And she, of course, like you and me, is looking at the purposes of God and saying, wow, there's blessing over there. And I want it and I can't have it. Because of where I've been born or because of the context I'm in. I'm not entitled to the favor of God in my life at all. I'm an outsider and I want a home. I want a family. I want a people. I want inclusion and a place at the table and I can't have it. And meanwhile, Israel is saying, I want my exodus to be over. I want my purposes to come about. I want, I want, I want God's promises to me, to me to be fulfilled. So Naomi and Israel are saying that, and we and Ruth are saying, let me in, let me in. And neither of them are possible unless there is a Redeemer who will step into history and bring together the outsider and the insider so that we can come together. The Boaz is Jesus. He's the guy who steps in and says, "I." And we're the ones who say, wow, who are you? And he's the one who says, of us, who's that, who's, who's that woman? Who's that guy? Who are they? And people say, that, that, that's a Moabite. Don't let them in. And he says, hang on a second. Come here, let me talk to you. I want you to stay with my people. I want you to find safety. You will be safe and protected as long as you stay near me. And then we look to Jesus and we say, hang on a second. Don't you know where I've come from? And and, and we're looking at him going, what are you doing? How could you notice me? And we fall on our faces before him and say, why are you noticing me? Since I am a foreigner. And then he says to us, the Lord is going to repay you for what you've done and a full reward will be given you by Israel's God under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's what we do. Ruth and us, we're the, we're the same. We, we come empty to the God who gives shelter and say, I haven't got anything. I come hungry and without anything. Please, would you help me? And he says, yes. And at the end of the day, uh, of course, he's piled us up with so much grain that we don't know what to do with it all. We say, please, please, like that woman that comes to Jesus, can I just have crumbs the crumbs that fall from your table? And he says, no, 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 there are no crumbs around here. There's not just, you know, you're not just gonna glean the husks. Here are the sheaves. In fact, give them, the, give them an ephah of barley. And so we go home with all of this stuff and we say, look how much abundance he gave me. And our family says when Naomi said, how the heck have you been gleaning that much? You know, where have you been? Who is this man who has blessed you? And we say, covered in abundance. The man I worked with today is called Jesus. And they say to us, wow, blessed be he whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That man is our redeemer. And we join in and say, wow, what a privilege it is to be of those who have been redeemed by the only man who can connect the outsider with the promises. And we're going we're gonna to conclude in a moment, in a as we do each week in a very special way, by breaking bread and taking wine. And the reason we do so is because of a verse that you might have missed, smuggled into the midst of this story, when Boaz says, hey, come here, eat some bread, drip, dip it in the wine. And when you and I read the Scriptures, it, well, you know we tend to do it, and Boaz said unto her, come and take some bread and and." dip it in the wine, and and there's always that voice that we, we, you know, that we read the scriptures with, but I think Boaz, I mean, I I read read the story with a little imagination, Boaz himself is probably in the throes of a meal, and he's like, ah, come on in, take a seat, take some bread, come and have some wine, join in the party, join in the family, you are welcome at my table. And if I say you're welcome at my table, then all the promises that belong to me because of my heritage now become valid and applicable to you. So come and eat at my table. And you know what Jesus wanted to say, uh, when he said, this is how I want to, to show you how included and loved you are. He said, let's have a meal. He didn't just say, here's a truth. Here's a doctrine, write it down. Here's even a song, as beautiful as those are. He said, here's a meal. I want you to see that you are welcome at my table. Here, take some bread and dip it in the wine, if you would, and join in the meal of those who know they're accepted and welcomed at the table of God because he has made a way for them to be redeemed. And so we're going to conclude this morning by breaking bread and And it's such a beautiful, powerful enactment of of that grace and mercy that has come to to the outsiders and made us a part of the table-sharing family where we can say, "Because, because I'm here, because I'm at this table, because I've been invited in, I know that I am welcomed, I am ransomed, I am healed, I am restored, I'm forgiven, I'm included, I am found, I am redeemed. As I sit at this table and as I take this bread and I take this wine, I know that Jesus welcomes me.